Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to watch, in order, the entire Mission Impossible franchise. This will self-destruct if you don't listen to this episode. <laughs> We're watching the entire Mission Impossible franchise on episode 82 of the podcast. Cue the music. Welcome, everyone, to the Entertainment Buffet Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon Prosek. And I'm another one of your hosts, Jessica Quaz. We're back, Jess. Summer 2020. Uh, we've been busy dealing with a lot of things in the world. Um, but uh, we're today we're jumping into just the bananas world that is Mission Impossible with Sir Tom Cruise. Yes, it's much more of a fun world, <laughs> uh, <laughs> even though, you know, there's a lot of impossible things that need to be done and a lot of crazy stunts and the world might explode and whatever. It's a lot more fun than the world we're living in, that's for sure. And in this world right now, where I live in Colorado, we're experiencing really terrible wildfires. Luckily, I don't live near anywhere near where the fires are, but it is so bad. There's been acres and acres of land destroyed um, and the smoke is everywhere. So you can kind of maybe hear it in my throat a little bit. Um, breathing in all that smoke and just being around it has made my throat, and many of us out here are, are dealing with issues from this. My throat is like super, like I want to say sore. It's like almost like sandpaper. It's very hoarse. Um, it's kind of messing with how I talk. Uh, so... Uh, I kind of asked Brandon before recording this episode if he could kind of, like, guide us through it more. Um, and, you know, I'll still, of course, talk as a podcast. It would it'd be super weird just silently being a participator. <laughs> um, but, yeah, if you notice me not talking as much as I normally do, it's not because Brandon hasn't allowed me or <laughs> I am choosing to take one out. Like, I... Just, I'm experiencing something really weird right now, as many of us out here in Colorado are. So I just wanted y'all to be aware of that. Like, if I sound different or if I seem a little uh, disinterested in talking, I'm not. It's really just, it's kind of challenging for me to talk properly right now. Um, so, yeah, it's, I'm excited to get into it. It's a bummer that I couldn't, you know, really let my voice be heard. But um, I'm still very excited to discuss this because this is the first time I've ever watched any of these movies, um, and I'm ready to talk about them. Yeah, uh, well, we do appreciate you still powering through on the podcast, Jess, and uh, yeah, uh, so I will do my best to guide us along on this mission, um, but yeah, it's it's been a bit, guys, we know, uh, like we said, a little bit busy, things going on, so uh, we're going to be breaking this down into two parts. Uh, this first part, we're going to be talking about missions possible 1, 2, and 3, and then the next part, uh, 4, 5, and 6. So, um, yeah, part 1, we can go ahead and jump right in. And uh, before we talk about Mission Impossible, per usual, we're going to bring up uh, some lately uh, what we've been watching. So, Jess, uh, what's a few things uh, you've been watching lately? Um, in terms of shows, I uh, just finished Dark. Um, I finished all three seasons. The late oh, wow. last... <laughs> Last season, the third season, came on Netflix like a few weeks ago, and so I finally finished the series. It's honestly such a mind-bending 
ride into sci-fi and quantum physics <laughs> like it, it it's insane but if you're into sci-fi if I if you're into time travel if you're into true crime it has all those elements and it's just a very well done show um and I really can't say much more than that otherwise I'd be getting deep into the plot um, but yeah, if you've heard of Dark or interested in Dark, I would definitely check it out. It's incredible. It's one of the best shows I've ever watched. And the cinematography and acting is just incredible as well. They're selling like really bizarre storylines very well. <laughs> um, so yeah, Dark, it's great. Uh, and then I moved on to Umbrella Academy, which is oh, just the best, truly right. <laughs> oh, just great in every way. Um, like I'm speechless (laughs) about what to say about it. It's just, it's wonderful. Um, it's season two is just a really great way to build up on season one, which was wonderful already. And yeah, I can't say enough about the show. It's so great. Go watch it. Um, and then, uh, in relation to our last episode on viewing homework, I finished watching the boys. Um, I think when we were recording, I had like three or four episodes left to get through, I did. I very much enjoyed it. The ending was very unexpected. Um, I am so curious to see where it's going to go next. I liked everything that happened in the end. The ending was intense and set it up for where it's probably going to go. And yeah, I just, I'm so glad you assigned it to me because I truly, really, like, really enjoyed the show a lot more than I thought I would. And I'm really excited for season two, which should be here, I think, in September. So just a few weeks away. Yeah. So wonderful show. And then in terms of movies, I watched The Old Guard, uh, starring Charlize Theron on Netflix. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would, too. Um, Charlize is fantastic in action movies, like truly. Um, It's always fun to see her in that role. And it was a very different take on, like, you know, superhero genre, so I enjoyed it. Um, and then I also watched Hamilton on Disney oh. Plus, the live <laughs> uh, production of it. I never saw it in theaters, but of course I remember like the phenomenon that was surrounding Hamilton when it came out in 2016 on Broadway. Um, and I totally see why. Like I totally <laughs> get it now. I I completely get it now. It is honestly a work of art it is like a masterpiece it is and it is definitely groundbreaking in terms of what is on broadway um everything in terms of the set pieces the costumes the choreography the acting every piece of it is powerful and beautiful the the soundtrack is just unbelievable and i get it like i totally get why there's a hype i'm definitely late to the game but like I'm a little bit in that hype, too. Um, so, yeah, I would say even if you're not really, like, a musical theater person, I think you could definitely enjoy it. It's fresh. It's different. And the, it's just wonderful. And a, the, a lot of the cast is kind of finding other work to do now, and I'm really excited to see what they go off and do. Um, yeah, I was blown away by it. And as soon as I finished watching it, I was like, oh, okay, that that's why. Yep, <laughs> I'm in it now. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Nice. Well, yeah, good mixture. Uh, I've also been dabbling in um, some things as far as TV show goes. Also, Umbrella Academy. 
amazing. Yep. Um, so much so we agreed how much we loved it. We're going to do an episode about that soon. Just because, yeah, season two was even better than season one. And season one was already great. Um, can't say enough about that show. So much so we're going to do an episode about it. So <laughs> um, I, way late to the game, watched Tiger King. Oh, welcome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I had put it off because, like, I feel like when a show drops and, like, everyone's talking about it, if you don't watch it in the first week or two, I feel like it just gets a little overhyped and, like, everyone's talking about it. And, like, I was afraid of getting spoiled. So I was like, well, if I don't see what everyone's talking about and don't understand the references, like, it's not spoiling. And so, like, I just waited and then um, finally watched it, and yep, if you've seen it or heard about it, it's exactly what you expect. It's bad <laughs> shit. Uh, so <laughs> the, there's so much to say on that, but it's it's just bonkers. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, uh, question, now that you've sure. watched it, like, after everything kind of blew over with the excitement around it, do you think, like, the the buzz around it and the like just sheer like insanity trying to understand what this what this all is like do you think that that makes sense now why it blew up as yeah it is i mean i see why because also it dropped at the perfect time it did uh i wonder how many people would have watched this if this was in like the pre-covid world but it dropped like right around when it was starting when everyone was staying home and came across it and so i think that's what helped kind of blow up the numbers a bit um i i'll admit uh i think towards the end it felt like it was dragging not in like a awful way but like not to say that, like, oh, there wasn't enough crazy shit, because, like, there was plenty. <laughs> but I just felt like towards the end, and that's the problem with a lot of docuseries that are, like, over a handful of episodes when they're, say, like, 7 to 10 range, it it starts to wear on you towards the end. Like, there was times where I needed breaks between episodes. Like, I didn't want to binge this because... I didn't feel great after. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I'd see one and be like, I need to watch something more fun after that. Uh, Just because, like, it was sometimes entertaining how crazy it was. And then other times I was just, I'm like, ah, there's dumb people like this in the world. And, yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so so do you think Carol Baskin killed her husband? Oh, I totally think she did. (laughs) (laughs) I totally think she did. Yeah, yeah, I would have to agree with you on that. (laughs) Because it's like, who else would? You know, like, almost no one had a, uh, like, they, I think, I don't know. I, I don't want to get too into that, but I think she totally did. And I think she's just better at uh, playing the game, if you will, than Joe was. Joe was like a more bombastic, almost like a, I want to say like a Joffrey type where he's just like, I want to be like this. <laughs> Whereas like, uh, Carol was more like a, uh, I don't want to say a Cersei, but you know, she like was like, well, I, you know, if I play this angle, people will feel bad for me, y- you know? Yeah. Um, so like, I-, I think they're both crazy in different ways. So is that doc guy. Uh, and yeah, they're all nuts. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so other show I watched... Wait, I'm sorry. Can I do a really quick sidebar? Sure. this actually just happened recently. Um, so I'm sure if you haven't listened to it or seen the music video, I'm sure you've heard about WAP. Uh, music video is super fun. It's great. I love it. Um, 
and in it they're like in this kind of like funhouse mansion situation and they actually have like big cats in it and so carol baskin uh took issue with the wap music video and like i don't like did this like long interview about how like cardi b is like abusing animals anyway it was like why like just very much her to insert herself in something she doesn't belong in at all um but my favorite part of it was cardi b's response to it on twitter (laughs) yeah it's i'm not gonna engage with carol baskin on that like that's just ridiculous you know oh lord like girl you killed your goddamn husband (laughs) like like, i'm not gonna engage with you you're a murderer (laughs) i saw that that was hilarious uh main thing i have to say when is the sequel gonna come out ant-man and the wop uh that's what i want to know but uh yeah, I I saw that interaction, and it feels like any time Carol Baskin's going to step up and say something now, everyone's going to be like, shut the fuck up. You right. know, like, you're, you're you nuts. Kill, you're a murderer. Yeah, you're, you're nuts. And even if she, okay, say she didn't do it, she still doesn't treat, like, the animals well and still no. making a ton of money claiming that she's this safe haven it's like no if you're a safe haven you would just have a big wide open reign like they would be free really like they wouldn't be in your caged care still you making money off of it but that's for another time if we (laughs) want to do some sort of tiger king episode um other show i checked out i finally saw season two of the punisher um i put this show off because like even season one it's kind of depressing it's a very dark show very grim a uh, very dark character but i always loved the character um all i'll say is like even though john bernthal does great work both acting and the action sequences are amazingly choreographed uh it's just it's a little bleak it's a little brutal and the problem with some of these netflix shows especially in their later seasons they took probably a six to eight episode story and like stretched it to 13 and it's like you know you could have made like a shorter just non-stop amazing show and you stretched it to 13 to where by the last few like it felt like episode 10 i'm like all right it should be wrapping up now right oh my god there's three more you know <laughs> and that's coming from someone who's like very forgivable of a lot of the uh the superhero shows but um speaking of which i also saw the old guard Love nice. that. Yep. Cannot wait. They have to be doing a sequel. Um, I'm even interested. I'm considering getting the comic books. Uh, I love how diverse it is, how uh, queer friendly it is, and uh, it's just great action. It feels fresh compared to a lot of the other superhero and super powered content out there. Um, other movies I recently saw. Uh, there was one day where I did what I'm calling a Ver Afternoon. Uh, we did oh. we watched three movies by Peter Verhoeven, I believe how you say his name. Uh, Robocop, Total nice. Recall, and Starship yep. Troopers. Oh, what a lineup. <laughs> that was a Sunday. <laughs> That's a good day. Um, where I had only ever seen Starship Troopers before. Robocop oh. and Total Recall I had never seen before. So, see, I've only seen those two. I haven't seen Starship Troopers. Yeah, so it's like if you see those three movies, you could totally tell they're directed by the same guy. You'll see a lot of actors cross over between the movies, the way the violence is. Um, he he says a lot about like class and like different societal things. So it's it's funny because 
all three of these movies, um, well, I should say Starship Troopers has been having tons of, like, direct-to-video sequels. I don't even know what they're on now, like, five or some shit. Um, <laughs> but Total Recall and Robocop were so popular in, like, the late 80s uh, that in, like, the early 2010s, I think it was, like, 2012 and something like that, they already had remakes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Both of them had remakes. So I just thought it was interesting to watch this director in multiple uh, different movies that he was kind of known for because uh, they were so stylistic and popular that less than 30 years later they were already given remakes. Um, they shouldn't be Which, given remakes, but... <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, like the remakes did not do well, but the oh, no. the original ones are still like held up as classics. Like We didn't need to remake them. Yeah, which one of the funniest moments, if anyone's seen Total Recall, if you want to see it on Netflix, there's a part where Schwarzenegger's running from guys that are trying to shoot him, and he's like, I think first thrust into this whole, like, oh, like, people are after me thing. Um, He's, like, going up an escalator, and he moves, like, just a random person to get in the way so that, like, he doesn't get shot, (laughs) and then proceeds to keep putting that person in the way. So this guy's just getting lit up with multiple bullets. And then I'm like, this poor guy, like he did nothing. This is an innocent person. And then Schwarzenegger picks him up and throws him at the henchman. And I was just like, this poor bastard. It wasn't even a henchman on other henchmen. It was just a passerby. And I'm like, I'm like, this character is insane. He's just, um, like, trying to have a day. He's got errands to run, and yeah. this is what happens. Which I was watching it with people who had seen it before, and they're like, oh, my God, I never noticed that. And I, like, rewound it. I'm like, no, watch this again. He's the psychopath. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, one last movie I'll talk about before we jump into Mission Impossible. I finally saw Parasite. Ooh. Yay! If you haven't, it's on Hulu watch it now or if it's or if you don't have hulu rent it on amazon however you can get a hold of it to pay to support it or watch it on a streaming thing you need to because there is a reason why it won best picture and there's the reason why for the first time in a long time it was a best picture winner that a lot of us agree should have won um it wasn't a green book situation (laughs) (laughs) no not at all yeah and all I'll say is, because like, I, I believe I posted about how I watched Parasite, and someone's like, eh, I, I didn't get into it. And I was just like, how far did you get in? They're like, oh, like maybe 20 minutes. I'm like, no, 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 you got to keep watching, because this movie at one point flips on its head, and like you don't know where it's going to go. And I, I just love the unpredictability. I love that director. I loved Snowpiercer. I enjoyed Okja. Uh, now I just want to see if there's any other movies of his I haven't seen yet, and I can't wait to see what he does next. Um, and this is coming from someone who hates watching movies with subtitles, um, <laughs> mainly just because I'm a big fan of dialogue and the delivery with the performance and sometimes jumping between reading and watching is a little too distracting for me, but like, this was worth it. Do it. Watch it. Um, Parasite. So good. It is. And I would say that Bong Joon-ho's filmography, which I wanted to really take a deep dive into after watching Parasite um, is is like pretty much consistently great. Like, yeah. I don't love Okja, but I love Snowpiercer. 
I love um, the host of his, and Mother is a really good one, too. So he's just always kind of pushing out these really, really good films, and I'm excited to see what he does next. For sure. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, Jess, we're here for a very specific reason. Uh, We took a mission, we accepted it, and we watched the entire franchise in order uh, of Mission Impossible. Now, you mentioned that you haven't seen any of these movies previous to this assignment, correct? Uh, yeah, I had not seen one of them. Of course, I've heard about him, especially in, like, the more recent years. Like, I was familiar with, like, the Ghost Protocol or, like, Rogue Nation. Like, these movies yeah. with cool titles, and I know they made a ton of money. Um, but, no, I really didn't know much at all about that world at all. Um, and, honestly, it wasn't really something I, like was actively against watching but i just never thought i would want to watch um so we had kind of decided to pick like a like a franchise to discuss and this was the one that came up and i'm really glad we settled on this one because i loved them i loved them i enjoyed them so much yeah it's the reason i wanted to do this was because there was a couple films i hadn't seen i'd only um i hadn't seen two or three ever before so those were brand new uh and all the other movies i'd only seen once so like this was pretty fresh to me as well but like lately over the last like year or two since fallout came out and i saw that i realized how this franchise has taken such a weird journey and like i've seen a lot of video essays on this as well you can check out on youtube how this franchise has somehow gotten better over the years and it's learned from its mistakes it's learned what to improve on and we're gonna go film by film and i'm gonna try to 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 point out things and show how it's crazy because like almost every film has a different director the main thing that stays along is tom cruise and uh this started in 1996 and as of this year they're still they're filming the seventh one i believe they're also going to be doing an eighth one back to back uh i don't know that for sure we'll see with how filming works and everything but most franchises as as we've discussed on this podcast get worse some get downright awful uh some get so bad and then reboot all in the time period that like tom cruise has been doing this series (laughs) so it's just nuts to me how you know this came out in a pre you know superhero action movie boom and then it's still survived over these years because like it's just types of action movies that we don't see anymore or if we do they're not done well there's a bunch of garbage movies like the fast and furious hobbs and shaw movies um, other ones that we probably totally forgot about that are just like, oh, yeah, I'm not seeing that shit. So for the long time, it felt like the only action movies to see were the superhero ones. Um, but yeah, we're going to go through this franchise film by film. And yeah, it's just something that if you haven't given these movies a shot or you haven't seen them in a while, please uh, watch along if you want to pause the podcast, watch one or two and follow along with us if you haven't yet it's well worth it because it's a series you think would have been long dead and is still going and like i said defying the hollywood card like stacked against it by getting better in time which is unheard of so uh we're gonna go ahead and jump in with the first movie mission impossible 
Um, so a little background on this. Like I said, this started in, uh, it came out in 1996. It was directed by Brian De Palma. And, um, which is, I'm sorry, that's crazy, by the way, that it was Brian De Palma. <laughs> Why? Just because that's, I, like, I don't know him to do, like, action movies, typically. Like, I don't know. Like, to me, that I was just not expecting that name as the director. So I was, gotcha. like, taken aback when I saw that. Okay. I don't know. It just doesn't, like, fit that. But, okay. I mean, it yeah. worked. Yeah. And so one thing I'm going to be pointing out, because it's it's crazy to me to show, like, the time difference... So uh, one thing I'm going to be bringing up each film is about how old Tom was when this came out. Uh, so at this time, he was 34. So obviously, he was still well into Hollywood. He'd done A Few Good Men, Rain Man, you know, all that stuff. Like, he was famous, but I think this was one of his first, I think, action movies like this. And little did we know would spawn such a long-lasting franchise. So, uh, one thing just to point out, which I thought was interesting, I didn't know until I researched on it, uh, Mission Impossible was a TV series um, back in the day, uh, I want to say 70s or 80s, like it was pre, way pre the movie, and apparently a lot of people were not happy with the movie because they thought it disrespected the TV show. Um, One of the big ones was John Voight's character, uh i forget his character's name was the only character that was in the tv show and i mean spoiler warning but like his character turns out to be a villain and everyone's like oh how dare you you know the tv show blah 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 blah. but like i'm not gonna real. i never saw any of that that was way before our time we're just talking about the film franchise because as people probably saw it's long surpassed the TV show. <laughs> Everyone mainly knows it as movies now. Uh, yeah, I find that interesting too because the 90s were like pretty long before, you know, the resurgence of retellings and, and redos and reboots. And so it is interesting because nowadays we'll have the like reboot that's a retelling or whatever. So it's yeah. funny to think that like back then, uh, any sort of diversion from the original source material pissed people off even yeah. <laughs> like even well, though like from what i understand maybe at the time it was fucking rad but like i'm i'm pretty sure the show mission impossible is notorious for being like super cheesy so i'm makes, sure you know makes sense why they would want to be a departure from that yeah and also just the fact that um yeah, I mean, there's a lot of times where a movie's popular and then that spawns a TV show. But, I mean, the fact that this was able to give a movie treatment and, like, I think the... We'll talk about the first movie. I think it was good. I think too many people just were trying to consider it, like, attached when it's, like, you really don't need to. Um, uh, we're two people that never watched the show and plenty of people saw it and didn't care. So, um, but anyway, let's jump into the first movie. Um, so... I thought this one uh, some things that I really enjoyed. I had only seen this once when I was like really young, so rewatching it older, um, it's crazy how many things stuck out to me. Uh, one of the big things that stuck out to me is how it opens with just like a bunch of death right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, theoretically, you know, Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise's character is on a mission. Things are going wrong. All of his teammates are dying, and I'm like, yeah. What a way to, like, start the franchise is, like, we're going to show you this team and then take them all away. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not like we'd seen this in a few movies already and then, like, people dying. It's like, ah, oh, twist. It's just like, how about these people? Nope, they're gone. This is about Tom Cruise. And now he's got to bring in a new team later. And so I just thought for a movie that's such a, like, kind of ambitious start, I don't know, how would you feel about that where it's like, here's Emilio Estevez and, like, these two women and, like, they're all on a team and then, boom, gone. Yeah, I agree. I definitely was super shocked that they just like died especially because like Emilio Estevez and um a few other like sort of known actors at the time were the team so you would think they would be the supporting characters um even John Boy too even though he's like not completely gone uh when the the team just gets compromised and like wiped out essentially that was really shocking um and it was very interesting to like just completely change the the structure almost of an action movie, um, and go, like restart it like after the opening sequence. Like okay, we got to start it over again, and it's only Tom Cruise's character, it's only Ethan, um, and what he goes on to do from there. And it also was like a the start of it too was the start of a very common theme throughout where. something happened, something's compromised, and all the blame could go on Ethan. Um, Yeah. Which happens a lot. Happens a lot. It was a very interesting setup to see, like, how the character's gonna be struggling, not just in missions, but in, like, also just having to answer for things and um, backstabbing and manipulation. So, yeah, yeah, not expecting that at all. Well, and what's interesting about it, and, like, I'm sure there's plenty of action movies who maybe start with a bunch of weird twists at the beginning, but it's crazy to me because it's, like, we don't really know who Ethan is. Mm -hmm. All we know, based on, like, possibly rooting for him is, like you said, that he's framed, and so we're rooting for him to try to prove his name, and it just felt, like, pretty interesting, and it's funny how we'll talk about it later in later movies, it becomes, like, a kind of a reoccurring trope with his character that everyone blames him but like that's how the first movie starts so we don't know who he is we don't know how good he is we don't know anything about him because there's just brief scenes where he's hanging out with his crew and then shit hits the fan very early on so uh yeah so that's one thing that's interesting um we uh we have this weird kind of twisty thing where uh, we think he kind of has a female love interest in the beginning and then she gets killed right away. Um, but then he kind of has this weird flirtation with uh, John Voight's character's wife, um, which I thought was a weird dynamic because to me it just felt very off. And like they even kind of were flirty at one scene pr- prior. And then when she comes back, it turns out she's not dead. And to me, I was just like, uh, like, why is this part of it? Um, I, I don't know. That was that was one of the things that stuck out as kind of like weird to me out of like yeah. the whole movie. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought that the character was kind of a lot. I didn't care for her. She was very pouty and like, hmm, everything's sad. Um, but it was weird. It was almost like they were trying to take an element of James Bond and put it into the first movie. You know, Bond gets the girl, like, Ethan has a girl, and then she's she's not. Like, it's just weird. And honestly, 
the relationship between her and John Voight's character, too, is also really weird. Like, I don't right? see them married in the real world. No. Because, like, like, he was what? old. Mm-hmm. And then she seems, I don't know. He felt like he was in his 50s, 60s, and she was, like, in her 30s. Like, And I'm sure I'm not going to judge yeah. on lo- age it's differences, not- but it felt their chemistry as actors didn't click to me. There was no chemistry, and yet it was, like, she also, not to, like, be whatever about age, but, like, she looked like she could be his daughter. Yeah. And she also looked almost, like, even too young for Tom Cruise sometimes. Like, she looks really young. And so that was weird. And the chemistry, like, he's kind of, like, old and boring. And he's, you know, John Voight's character. He's very John Voight. And she's, <laughs> oh, like... Oh, he's very John Voight. He's very John Voight. <laughs> he's kind of awful. Um, especially now. Um, but yeah, that, so, like, they were trying to kind of shoehorn in this, like, weird, like, she's, because she's, her husband's presumed dead, now, like, oh, she falls in the arms of Ethan, which is just very, again, like, Bond, like, damsel kind of situation, which Mm -hmm. I thought was, like, lame because she was a part of his team, and then once shit goes down, she almost becomes, like, a damsel, which is, like, wait, where were you just, girl, you just had all this, like, tenacity yeah Yeah, that was one thing i would say i definitely didn't care for it's probably like one of my least favorite plot points in the entire franchise actually is that yeah yeah it it stuck out to me because like there's a lot of almost the rest of the movie works you know yeah um so like two things i'm also going to point out in every movie that are kind of uh tropes not necessarily bad but just reoccurring things with vision impossible is this takes place kind of like all over the world um so the the two places that it's in are it's in prague and like london and like those are like the big because it i swear like every movie they're in like different countries all over the world so there's that and then um one other thing is every mission impossible movie has a big action scene and usually in little did we know when this started i think this isn't like more apparent until like later when it becomes more nuts is tom cruise started really pushing the idea of doing his own stunts um the two big sequences uh that are his own stunts are when he's first framed in the beginning and he causes an explosion and like runs out of the restaurant where like the water's coming out apparently that was really hard to shoot and it really only worked with like tom doing it otherwise it was very obvious it was a stuntman um and so that was one it seems small but you know when you actually think that it's tom doing it maybe look at it again um and then the ending like bullet train sequence uh where he you know he's kind of on top of the train they had to clearly do some cheating for that they're not going to actually put tom cruise on like that bullet train um with a helicopter coming near it but yeah it's um those are like the big action pieces but one i really wanted to point out which became just like a cinematic staple and has been homaged and referenced in so many things and that's the him dangling into the room sequence um like where people just call that mission impossible Mm -hmm. where he goes into this room where it's like impossible to get in because (laughs) there's like eye sensors and there's floor things and there's like heat sensors based on the temperature of the room and so like he has to dangle in 
to like, and it was like a floppy drive or something like that. Yeah, where I was to like, floppy disk. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, oh, take me back to floppy disks. Um, yeah, and so like that wasn't quite as actiony, but to me it was one of the most tense things because there's the whole thing where the guy holding him like a rat is coming near him, and you're like, oh, oh, oh no. Um, so yeah, I think that scene. I totally understand why it became like a staple, not only to do other little dangling scene uh, teases in other movies, but just the fact that like so many movies, like I remember even Shrek 2 as a kid, there was like a part where Pinocchio jumps in somewhere with his strings and it's like Mission (laughs) Impossible, you know, like so many movies, TV shows started referencing this thing like it's crazy that something in the 90s became such a big iconic thing yeah i mean yeah when most people think mission impossible they think that like image and it is a really cool image of like a it's a very quintessential spy kind of image so Mm. it's really cool and then yeah if you've like actually seen it couple with the fact that that scene is actually really intense so it's like it kind of makes sense why that's the one that stands out. It's just interesting, though, that after how much time has passed and how many other stunts and things that they've done, that's still a thing you think about when you think Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so one thing that I want to talk about um, that like we'll kind of talk about each mo- movie is, like, I think this franchise has, I don't want to say a problem with villains, but, like, it, it's kind of hit or miss depending on the movie. Now, the big villain of this one was John Voight. He seemingly killed in the beginning, only to come back towards the end in like a twist fashion. And it turns out that he's like a traitor and he set Ethan up. Um, what's interesting about this is we know that Ethan is framed, but we have no idea who's behind it until I'm I, I like marking when these things happen. It was an hour and twenty minutes into the movie. And so it's a good portion in to where twist, there's the villain. And it was like, oh so I, I liked the fact that like Ethan didn't know and we didn't know because a lot of other movies we know the villain. It's just about him tracking him and trying to find him or right. whatever. But like this one we had no idea. So what did you think about John Voight and the just the general twist and villainy? Yeah, I do like that idea of we're finding out with him that adds a level of suspense when we do find like finding the villain, who's behind this, just that whole journey adds a layer, especially when it's revealed who it is. Um, I personally find John Voight repulsive. So to me, <laughs> he's the villain of America, so he's also the villain of Mission Impossible. He works as a villain. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't like John Voight. I can, clearly, I can speak about that a lot. Um, he's got resting villain face. Like, he really yes. does. And yeah. I think that's what, to me, felt so, like, miscasting for him. Because in the very beginning, when they're all trying to be buddy-buddy, I'm like, I don't... And I knew the twist already from when I was a kid, but I was like, I don't buy him. Mm-hmm. How would everyone not see that this guy, John Voight, was clearly bad? You yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> it like, just... Even when he's not playing a villain, I feel like he's always kind of got this crotchety look on his face and it's just always like so it's again that's hard to that's why it's hard to believe that this like young fun energetic woman would be like oh hello to like cranky john voight 
Um, what would have been so much better is if Emilio Estevez's character was the villain because damn. he's someone who's younger and like matched pairing mm-hmm. like with Tom Cruise. So like I th- and also he I could believe when they were all buddies like it made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I think that was a missed opportunity. Clearly, I think at the time they were probably going for the fact that like oh. Uh, his character Jim Phelps, like that's from the TV show, and he's a good guy. But twist, he's a traitor. Yeah, and I'm like yeah, but like for us that don't know the show, um, that doesn't really matter. It just felt like miscasting to me. Yeah, and I'm glad like his time came and went with the first movie, and there wasn't more of him. Yeah, I think for the time, it makes sense to have him as as a villain and be a prominent part in it. Um, but now. We can all do without John Voight. <laughs> this is <laughs> yes. my, my hot take. No yeah. disrespect for his younger years or anything, but, like, yeah, I just, whatever. He didn't, to me, like, he he didn't add anything um, special or different as mm-hmm. the villain. It was just, like, yeah, I'm the villain. And it's, like, yeah, no, we see that. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, I get it. Like, it, and it's not like, as we'll go on to discuss later, some of the other villains who were there, who sometimes it was a twist that they were a villain, and then you kind of, like, oh, I didn't see it before, but now I see it. Or it's just, yeah, his villain role was kind of just like, yeah, that fits you. Like, yeah, probably didn't, ha- <laughs> probably didn't have to do a lot of acting. Um, yeah, but I did like the suspense of trying to figure out who it was, figuring out who it was, now we got to do something. Like, I did like that structure as a, like you said, opposed to most action movies where it's like the villain's introduced in the first, like, five minutes and now we got to find him and fight him. Yeah, I I agree. I'm glad that they didn't drag out his character. It was done, it was over with, and we can move on. Um, But honestly, besides the uh, John Voight's uh, character or the wife being kind of weak points in the movie, I feel like pretty much everything else worked. Um, I think uh, also this is where they introduce Ving Rhames, who he turns out to be the second most used person in these movies. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, any other thoughts on this first movie? I really enjoyed it. I think especially the 90s, which was filled with action movies, I think that a lot of the movie still holds up. Um, it may not be as as many gigantic big action scenes like the the later films go to, but as just like a good little spy movie, uh, I I thought it was fun. I did too. I really enjoyed watching it. Um, yeah, it's very of the time, especially when they're dealing with technology. Like that's and it's kind of it gave me giggles. It's like just seeing <laughs> their high tech technology. Um, but other than that, yeah, like, I do think it holds up. I do think it's just fun, enjoyable. Um, I didn't really find much wrong with it or anything. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think it needs, like, intense criticism in any way. Um, I think it's a good start to, to this franchise. I don't think when they were making it at the time, they'd realize how long the franchise would go. But I do think it's a good beginning to introduce Ethan Hunt and his journeys, um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I also really enjoy watching, like, kind of, like, campy 90s, 80s stuff. But this wasn't, I would say, like, campy or even cheesy. It comes off very well. I think it has aged pretty well. Yeah, I agree. 
Uh, so we're going to move on to Mission Impossible 2, uh, which we'll get into is, weirdly, the complete weakest film in the franchise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, which almost, it, it probably could have killed the franchise. I think for many years people thought the franchise was dead. Um, we'll talk more into it, but I'll, I'll do a little background. So Mission Impossible 2, this came out in the year 2000. Uh, uh, so now Tom Cruise is 38. Um, this was directed by John Woo. Yes. Which, if, <laughs> which yes. if you don't know him, he did uh, Face Off. Um, yeah, he has a very distinctive style with action. Uh, but yeah, so this movie um, the ha also had a younger... Um, uh, Tandy Newton. Tandy Newton, Baby Maeve. <laughs> I was it's, so excited to see her. I had no idea she was in it. Obviously, yeah. it's like very early on in her career. Um, I was pumped when I saw her on the screen. I just screamed, Baby Maeve! At my <laughs> screen. I was so excited. Yeah. Um, love her. Love her and everything she does. Um, I... So, this movie... Uh... <laughs> It starts off with a big... I don't want to say action because it wasn't really like... There weren't stakes, but it was just to show how Tom Cruise wants to give us crazy stunts. And he wants to die uh, if he can't give us like the best action scenes ever. So the, the scene opens with this cheesy sequence where he's free climbing... Um, which he actually did. Um, they didn't do any nets cause it would have, uh, like ruined the shot. Like he had like a strap or whatever, but like it was super dangerous. So like, just imagine a lot of those scenes where it's like kind of like nail biting if you're afraid of heights. Um, just the fact that Tom Cruise is like, yeah, I'm going to do this, uh, pretty unsafely. And it's like, this is the opening credits. <laughs> and like the fact that, um, Every film at some point, there's, like, a mission. Should you choose to accept? And, like, Ethan does it in different ways. I think this time it was, like, sunglasses. Um, yeah, there was, like, a helicopter that flew yeah. over, shot a missile. The missile stuck in the ground. Yep. Out came the sunglasses. He puts them on, watches the mission, then tosses them away, like, into the camera. Slow-mo, explosion, Mission yeah. Impossible 2. <laughs> I was like, oh, boy, we're in for one here. We're in it. <laughs> We, and he's got his long, shaggy hair, which I gotta say, he looks dope in. I love the long, shaggy Tom Cruise hair, because it's just like, yeah, I'm rocking it. What's Blowing up? in the wind. Blowing you know, in the wind with sunglasses and fire. He's like, ready yeah. to go. Because <laughs> that's a trope that John Woo loves is slow-mo and like wind blowing in the characters. Um, yeah, so like when if that scene doesn't tell you the tone <laughs> for the whole film... I don't know what else does because that is like it. Watch that opening scene. If you're like, this is so silly. It's going to be that the whole time. Like it just straight up is. Uh, but yeah, so I had to point out that opening sequence because I was like, dear God. Yep. Um, the fact that he wants to do free climbing just for the credits, you know, no, for no, no <laughs> stakes. <laughs> no and stakes. it seems like this is what just Ethan Hutt does on his free time for fun. Um, is like, I'm going to risk my life climbing a mountain. Uh, with like just powder on his hands. Like no, uh, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I had to point out the fact that he did that stunt with no net, just the harness. That's uh, insane. For that, insane. too. For that moment. Like, that's yes. what... It was, okay. Well, 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 he well, needed well, it well. to look good, Jess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, this film uh, introduces, like we said, Tandy Newton's character, who becomes very quickly a love interest. Yeah. Uh, okay. I thought this was very rushed. Very um, fast. There was I, okay, so I took <laughs> notes of this while I was watching and I just understood what this meant. There is a shot of like somehow she's kind of I don't know what led up to this, but there, she's like kind of straddling him. I think they were like fighting or something, or they were fighting other people on accident. There is such a disgusting shot and it's just very like <laughs> very woo style like you know like she's somehow on top of him almost in like a like sitting on him and the camera is pointed down in such a way that it's like flat down on them her boobs are in the foreground and then it's his face so it's just like boobs tom cruise face and it's just wow Wow, wow, wow. Very of the times. Very inappropriate. Do not like that. 2000. <laughs> 2000. Uh, sex sells, baby. Uh, yeah, I'm noticing a lot of my notes from watching this is very nonsensical, but also makes all the sense in the world. Like, I have, um, the music in it is wild. I don't remember yeah. what the music in it was wild, it's, but it was wild. It's, yeah, I, I, I wrote down that too. Cheesy music. It's, it's. Such late '90s, early 2000s cheese. That's mm -hmm. that's the main thing. Like I said, that opening sequence. You know, like she said, with the the boob shot on Tandy, all that stuff. This is, this felt like, oh my god, this is like every other action movie that came out in that time period. It doesn't stick out at all. It felt like I remember as a kid, seeing the commercials and even think. And at the time, I was eight. You know, even thinking just like, uh, you know, like, because it just looked over the top, you know. Um, and so another fun fact about this movie is, uh, so the villain, Duggery Scott, he was supposed to play Wolverine in the first X-Men. Oh. But because shooting for this movie <gasps> took too long, and I believe he got injured on a motorcycle uh, stunt... He pulled out, and they had to replace him with Hugh Jackman. Wow! And everything talk about was the right best the mistake ever. <laughs> yeah. Because I did not like Dougie Scott in this. No. I don't know. I don't know what else he's done. I need to see him in something else. Maybe it's just this movie. It's a cheesy John Woo movie. But I did not like him at all. When I saw him in this, I'm like. Oh, thank God for Hugh. Oh, thank God. Right. You know, because Hugh went to play Wolverine. For 17 years in like a handful of movies. And Dougery Scott, it's like, do you know who he is compared to Hugh Jackman? Right. That just shows, like, thank God that happened. Thank God this movie ran over in time. <laughs> because that could have really hurt the X-Men, not only the X-Men franchise, but possibly superhero movies so little did we know mission impossible 2 played a big effect in the superhero boom wow <laughs> i mean good for everyone else bad for duggery scott that sucks i'd be pissed <laughs> if i like couldn't do wolverine and then i was stuck in this crap movie <laughs> yeah so i mean pissed. like based on his his uh <laughs> 
based on his filmography, he definitely kept getting work. Uh, I don't know if the quality of work was great, but it just shows that, like, it's funny how such a minor thing, like, movie uh, celebrities miss movies or overshoot with movies and have to pull out of other movies so often. But, man, what a, like I said, what a critical thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I will say some of the motorcycle stuff is pretty cool. Uh, but, like, that final scene with him and Tom on the beach. Uh, <laughs> the part where they ride their motorcycles into each other and, like, I think they explode and they leap into the air and tackle one another. It's, it's just... <laughs> it's a long, long sequence. Okay, first of all, before before we get into that, though, because that's the end, we just spoke about the end and then jumped to the beginning. Sorry. Because, no, but the reason is they fly through exposition in this movie. They just, like, zoom, zoom, zoom plot. And I... Watching it, I was like, I have, I literally have no idea what's happening. Like, I don't know what's going on. I know there's a villain, and they're doing stuff. But like, mm-hmm. I the plot, yeah. I don't, I don't know what it was because they just like zoom zoomed into it and then just went into the action. So like, literally for me, all I mostly remember is the beginning and the end because everything else that happened was so like warp speed fast that i have no idea what happened what i don't remember what they did Um, yeah so one thing i'll say another reoccurring uh trope or element in the mission impossible franchise that i believe was from the tv series is the uh the mask reveals Mm -hmm. Uh, i forgot to mention that in the first movie where someone is uh tom cruise or someone is with a mask, but it's like, you can totally tell it's like the, the actual actor. It's not a real mask, but they pull at their neck and then they Scooby-Doo villain style, take off their mask. And then it's the totally different actor. Um, and it's something that's in all the movies at one point, but the crazy thing it about this one is they did it way too much. I remember thinking like, how many times are you going to do these mask reveals? It became predictable and, like, to me, anytime something crazy happened, I was like, what, is they going to be under a mask? And then, I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Great. Um, I, one of my notes is literally so many masks. <laughs> like, I, so, so many, many masks. masks. That's all I remember about the plot, was just masks on masks on masks, and not yeah. the COVID kind, the face kind. Yeah, masks central in this movie. Uh, this took place in Australia. Um, like I said, these movies take place all over the world. Um, but yeah, it flies through things. I think it's a just s- horribly written movie. There's even like a line where Anthony Hopkins plays like the new guy that's like in charge of Ethan. And he's just like, uh, <laughs> well, if it was mission difficult, you know, but yeah. or, like what what was the line? It was something like. Uh, well, they don't call us mission difficult, you know? Right, like, or something. Like, yes. <laughs> something, something like that where I was like, oh my God, it was shut up, mission Anthony Hopkins. Or something. And also, can I just say, Anthony Hopkins' voice, I don't know what was happening there, but to me, I was like trying to figure out what like accent or cadence he was going for because usually, you know, you think Anthony Hopkins, you think of his iconic voice, but he like didn't do that this time. It sounded like almost like Brooklyn ish, but then it was going like in and out. 
So that was weird, too, because, like, one thing about Anthony Hopkins is, like, his voices are never bad. So that was jarring as hell, too, trying to figure out, like, who, what did they tell you to speak like? How did we get here? Yeah, it was just odd, too, because, like, this is such a big actor, and he's in a pretty bit role. Yeah. Um, he's barely even in the movie, and it'd be different if it's, like, oh, he's a bit role, and he's in, like, all the movies, but this is, like, the only one he was in. Mm-hmm. So it just felt, like, very useless for getting such a big actor to be that role um yeah i i just a lot of the casting like we were saying uh when it comes to dougree scott or like anthony hopkins in this role uh tandy newton she obviously we know she's a good actress but she was not given much to do it's weird because like she was the damsel but then she has a moment where she's like I don't want Dougree Scott to get the poison, so I'm going to put the poison in myself. And it's just like... So you give her a badass moment, but then she's still the damsel because Tom Cruise has to save her. Right. You know, she doesn't help save herself with him. She's still the damsel. And I'm like, you were trying to do something somewhat non damsel and you proceeded to do a damsel thing anyway. <laughs> yeah. I feel like after the first two movies, they handle female characters way more well. <laughs> yeah. This was ridiculous. Well, <laughs> that is something that's going to come up later. Cause after, um, the third movie, uh, we'll talk about more later. Tom Cruise actually said no more women damsels. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Apparently he was just like, Yep, no more of that. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think it's because he kept doing it. I think he just was like, we don't need that. Uh, we'll, we'll do some more badass women. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, so it's interesting because, like we were saying before, they rushed this love interest between Tandy and Tom Cruise, and then she's the damsel. He saves the day. They seemingly end up together. Only for, spoiler warning, she's never in the rest of the franchise. <laughs> never talked about again. Again, never I think mentioned. never mentioned. Not even like a, hey, where'd she go? Nope, she's fully gone. Um, again, I think it was like a, like a taking a piece from Bond. You know, maybe they were trying to go for like, oh, he's got a love interest every movie at first. Because that was like, I mean, what? We were in like Pierce Brosnan Bond then, right? Like... Yeah. And those movies, I mean, they're always still huge, but those movies especially were, like, really leaning on, like, the Bond always gets a girl at the end of the movie. Blah, 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 blah. Uh. So I think that that's probably what they were going for with this, which sucks because, like, you know, Tandy Newton deserves more. But, like, that's yeah. it's very of the time, you know, for yeah. sure. Um, the uh, the only other person that returns, again, is Ving Rhames as Luther um and it's it's interesting because so many of the either bosses of ethan or the the women or whatever other characters filter but the main people that stay along at least in this beginning portion are tom cruise and then ving rames in a supporting slash like buddy buddy role and i love him yeah i just love him especially in, in this he's just like this Nice little, like, warm hug that comes out of the movie. And he's like, hey, yeah. hey, hey, hey bud, how you doing? And this That's is great. right around the time, late 90s, early 2000s, when he was, like, in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
It's funny because Tom Cruise seemingly doesn't age. Ving Rams, you'll notice over through these films, definitely ages. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, no offense to him. But, you know, 20 years pass, and, you know, by the end of this, he is, like, 60, and you can tell. And uh, he's not drinking that Xenu blood that, you know, Tom got, so... <laughs> Well, yeah, he doesn't have that thing that, like, Ben Stiller and, like, Paul Rudd and Tom take to, like, not age. Um, (laughs) He didn't get in on that. Um, But uh, anyway, uh, I bet a big reason that they don't mention Tandy Newton's character is because they want a lot of people to forget about Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. Um, I think it really could have killed the franchise. And uh, luckily... Uh, and when we're going to jump into Mission Impossible 3, someone else took it in a different direction and kind of steered it towards the right path because uh, first film, good. This movie, what the fuck happened? Like, most franchises, um, when it gets this bad, that's like the last movie. You know what I mean? Like, if many movies, it's like the first movie's good, second movie's okay or better, but then the third movie, uh, what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, um, this, the second movie, it's just like, good, bad, whoa. <laughs> yeah, very excessively, very quickly terrible. So let's talk about that, that final scene, the iconic uh, final motorcycle with abs. Yeah. <laughs> yep, lots of The that longest, long... the longest <laughs> motorcycle situation <laughs> in cinema history uh, it felt like it it felt so later, long <laughs> well in later movies we'll talk about it there's motorcycle sequences that don't feel like this no it's and they just are long, this one but yeah, they, they are long they're exciting but they're, they're exciting they're shot well this was just like john woo being john woo um there's lots of scenes also big thing i want to talk about in addition to the motorcycle thing is there's other movies where there's some shooting, but that's not, like, the big thing. This movie, John Wolf fashion, tons of shooting, tons of sliding on the ground, slow-mo shooting, hairs in the breeze, you know. It just... This felt like a John Woo movie that he got to put Mission Impossible's name on it, and it didn't feel like part of, like, what ended up being the franchise. For sure. Yeah, no, it was very... And I think it's probably because of the time, like... That was the hot thing with action movies was like guns, 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 motorcycles, woo, and not like actually unique, thoughtful choreography, cool stunts. Yeah, it's just like this is working for this movie. Let's do it over here. Um, yeah, you know this is basically Mission Impossible Face Off. Like let's be yep. real. But right. Yeah, um, yeah. I also noticed. Go ahead. There was a lot of really weird, um, zo- zooming in like slow mo ab zooms. during the gun battle i wrote so like it's also really weird because it's like these very like lame kind of action moments but then they're also hyper sexualized as well which is like yeah that's the early aughts like that makes sense Uh, and then i don't know if you could help me make sense of this i have a note that says the pigeon kick scene was so extra do you know what that means (laughs) Uh, I mean, John Woo is known for putting pigeons and doves. Um, I, yeah, like where they'll run and then they go flapping and it's like all epic. Um, I don't remember them kicking a bird per se. I think someone but... kicked a pigeon in this movie because I wrote the, the pigeon <laughs> kick scene was so extra. Uh, I just love that note. Uh, <laughs> so extra. So extra. Um, 
I, well, okay, so one thing I will say before I forget, because uh, I loved looking up which stunts he did, and this one I had no idea was like a stunt. Um, so you know at the final fight scene, and maybe it was like in the sand where there were birds or whatever, but uh, there's a part where Dougery Scott has Tom Cruise on the ground, and he goes to stab him, and the knife goes like right before Tom's eye, mm-hmm. and it's like a deep close-up of the knife being like inches away. Apparently that's real. Uh, oh, Apparently they put the knife on like a string and measured out like how far to get it near his eye and really did it. And I was just like, so unnecessary. Because That's so unnecessary. <laughs> the reason why it's unnecessary is because like, okay, later films when he's hanging off planes or buildings seems real. This seems like just movie magic like most things. So like, do you think in the trailer, like... I, it's that's unnecessary stuntage to me just like the rock climbing thing because it's like we don't know unless you watch behind the scenes read about or like see an interview and tom talks about it or something it's like we don't know that it's real so why risk it if we don't know and it's like there's not much payoff for either of those stunts it's not like groundbreaking cinema it's like you climbed mm-hmm. up a mountain wall thing and then you had a knife real close to your eye like what <laughs> like yeah i anyway, swear he is so, a death so, wish <laughs> i'm sorry they had like a string that held the knife by his eye so yeah apparently there was like a cable or something at the bottom of the knife so that when like dougry scott or whoever it was maybe it was a stuntman goes to stab tom in the eye it like stops the knife okay and they measured like if tom sits his face here and his, uh, his eye is about here this is where the knife is to where it's close enough in the shot. So, like, that's how long the cable is. So, it's, like, almost like it retracts, you know, and it doesn't quite get okay. that close. But it's, like, why risk why? stabbing Tom Cruise in the face? Why not just get, like, a <laughs> fake knife? Like, what? <laughs> like every other movie. Yeah, what? I That was, yeah, a little unnecessary. <laughs> and, not, and not, like, a huge payoff. It's not like that's, like, an iconic moment where you're, like, oh, my God. Like, right okay like (laughs) when i saw that out of like because i was reading all these articles and watching videos about all the stunts that he did for these movies for research and when that came up i was like why because (laughs) no one knows like the like i said when he hangs off planes or buildings at least some of the times that's for a plot point but also it's like oh my god tom cruise hanging off a plane but like this no one's going to be like, oh, Tom Cruise almost stabbed himself in the <laughs> eye. Like, no one knew that. <laughs> it's so unnecessary, and I just had to bring it up. <laughs> I didn't know that, and that makes the movie even more ridiculous. <laughs> right? That, hey, him climbing the mountain for the credits and him almost getting stabbed in the eye, those are some of the big, you know, and I'm sure he did a lot of the motorcycle work, but it's just like... Woof. Almost <laughs> killed the franchise. And what's crazy is, like, people ask, like, should I see all these movies? And, like, I, I honestly say you can skip two. Just, yeah. If you wa- Unless this is the type of tone and type of movie you want to see. Yeah, I would You know what I mean? Like, a bad movie night, I think this could fit in. For sure. Like, if you like cheesy, stupid, campy, weird movies like we do. (laughs) Like, because I thoroughly enjoyed it. Even though it's garbage. It's complete garbage. It's terrible. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Do I want it on my DVD shelf? No. No, But I'm glad I watched it. (laughs) And if I, like, rewatch the franchise again, I'll probably skip it. 
So, like, yeah, if you want to watch the full franchise, go for it. But, like, if you think two's going to be garbage and you don't like garbage, then just go to three. Like, literally nothing of two carries over into three at all. Like, there's... Nothing at all. Nothing at all. You can just completely take it out and you're fine. Yeah. There's no references. It's nope. almost like a, some of the TV shows where it's, like, you can just watch any episode. Um, there are some movies where, like, you can't do that in this franchise, but two can literally be, like, removed from existence, and you only watch one and then three through six, you won't know a difference. No, um, yeah, nothing. Which, wow, that says quite a lot about a sequel. <laughs> right? Um, so, anyway, uh, let's move on to the final film we're going to talk about for this episode, which is Mission Impossible 3. So, background about this movie, this came out in 2006, that means we are now six years after the last movie, and total ten years after the first. Tom Cruise is now thirty, or excuse me, forty-four. This was directed by J.J. Abrams, which was his film directing debut. He had done like Alias, and apparently that's what Tom Cruise watched and thought, like, let's get this guy. Um, so uh, weirdly, at some point in O2, I think David Fincher was in consideration. Wow. Which right i think would have been really weird because Mm -hmm. he had done like seven and fight club and then mission impossible (laughs) you know anyway um so um that's kind of where we start is uh and one thing i want to point out i think in the history of like kind of action movies is this is the first that I'll just say is in a post Jason Bourne movie world because like Bourne movies started this whole uh, shaky cam and handheld for action sequences and um, you can totally tell that that like kinetic handheld style imprinted onto this movie um not even so much later movies but mainly this one because that's what was popular in like the early to like later 2000s is that style of action cinematography so i wanted to point that out because like i don't know if you saw that that was like this feels very born yeah i definitely noticed there was like a hint of that for sure where and that's what's interesting too about like the first pieces of the franchise they kind of are going along with like action movies or they're taking you know liberties with other action movies that are successful and exist um, and throwing them into their environment. But yeah, this definitely did have like a like a born kind of feel to it, but it was still very much, you know, Mission Impossible. But yeah, I did pick up on that. I definitely could see that. Yeah. Um, so uh, what this also does to the series is uh, Vin Rings also comes back as Luther. We introduce Michelle Monaghan's character, who is a brand new love interest out of nowhere. Um, fuck which, Tandy Newton. <laughs> yeah, fuck Tandy Newton. I, and I've tried to like find articles like why she wasn't in it, and I can't. So, not, okay. Oh, do you know? Kind of. Um, so she recently yeah. did a interview. Let me see. Hold on. Let me look it up. Because she did this like, it was a few weeks ago. She did a really like very truthful interview where she spoke in depth about like racism or misogyny that she was feeling in the industry. Um, and she didn't like say that Tom Cruise was that or anything, but she does bring up her work on mission impossible. We introduced Michelle Monaghan's character who, uh, is at the start of the film already been with 
Tom Cruise. Like they're engaged and um it's Okay, we're, I found okay. it. Okay. Sorry. Okay, so this is from a vulture this is a from a Harper's Bazaar article that is um sourcing the vulture interview she did, okay? So here, here's the tea. Newton described her experience working opposite of a really stressed and dominant Tom Cruise on the 2000 film Mission Impossible 2. When asked why she never filmed another movie in the action thriller franchise, the Westworld actress merely said, Oh, I was never asked. I was so scared of Tom. He was so very dominant individual. He tries super hard to be a nice person, but the pressure. He takes on a lot. And I think he has this sense that only he can do everything as best as it can be done. Like, he didn't like her. <laughs> like, he was a very stressed out individual at the time and uh, got frustrated by her. And then she, he, he didn't seem very collaborative. And then it was just like, you know what? We don't need her. Bye. <laughs> Which, to be fair, uh, like, I'm not going to defend anyone's actions as far as that goes but an interesting point in like his career uh was like you know he did jerry Maguire after mission impossible and like eyes wide shut but then like i could totally understand like he probably wasn't in like the best graces i don't know when exactly he did that whole oprah thing or whatever we yeah get i think into. it was like around then maybe and so like i could totally see he had a lot of pressure doing like a second movie maybe and like he was worried about like the franchise um and but... the scientology of it all that's very <laughs> real like so i mean yeah like i don't doubt what she's saying or discredit her but i also don't think that makes tom cruise a monster i think he's probably like just a very intense guy on set because he probably, I mean, he's been doing it for so long and he, and he puts his life on the lines, almost stabbing himself in the yeah, eye yeah, well, for our entertainment. <laughs> so he says, know. goes, you try almost stabbing yourself in the eye. Right. But yeah, too. And also this is like, he's a producer on it. His, he's the face of this franchise. So mm. like things, you know, don't go right even though come on that i'm sure she wasn't the problem of the second movie but whatever. yeah like yeah. i think it it probably comes down to a, a both like a a chemistry thing with the person and maybe they thought uh you know years passed and like since their love quote-unquote was so rushed in that movie maybe they felt like enough time has passed that either people didn't like the second one didn't care about the second one they wanted to start fresh and think like, well, maybe those two kind of like high strung badass individuals wouldn't have worked. Because um, the thing about Michelle Monaghan's character is, um, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but she's just a normal person. Like she's just a nurse. She's not in the spy world. She's not like some big badass. Like Tandy Newton was like a thief and a badass. Um, so maybe they thought like this is a new start for Ethan where he also at this time has retired and he's just like an instructor which is so funny because at that time that was 2006 and now here we are he's filming a movie in 2020 where like he's still in duty so it's funny how even in 06 they're like yeah now he's like retired it's like, <laughs> right no. but um, i also feel like this the third movie like immediately just set a different tone from the other two like this was yes. like a departure like it's just completely different from the first two in general and so it makes sense to why they just would want to leave all that kind of behind them with the exception of being rames because mm -hmm. i mean he's great and we enjoy him in it but like yeah it's also like 
the character is different in, a, in, a, in his own way, and now this, like, it's just a different way of dealing with it. I think from the third movie on, they didn't want to do the traditional, like, you know, James Bondy kind of, like, extra spy movie. Like, they wanted to do their own thing, so. Yeah, and they wanted to tell a story where uh, Ethan was, I think, trying to move forward with his life. Uh, he was returned, uh, like you said, retired from, like, uh, uh, what, what do they call it? Uh, in, uh, from field duty uh, and was just training operatives. Uh, he was doing that secretly. He hadn't told Michelle Monaghan um, her character about that. So I think he just wanted to start fresh. And, like, this was a movie uh, how, like, he can't quite have a normal life uh, where the villain takes her hostage at one point and like this is where it's full on damsel in distress um, but uh, this also introduces Simon characters uh, Simon Pegg's character Benji who would become someone else who stays around for the rest of the franchise um, yeah uh, so a couple big action sequences I just want to mention is when he's on the bridge and they're like shooting missiles at cars uh, I remember the trailer and like commercials on TV back in the day where like the missile hit and he flies like into that car it's like ooh Jesus Christ <laughs> like they, he did that oh. um, it wasn't like a missile but they did the cable thing where they thrust him into the car um, because you know apparently he's a glutton for punishment <laughs> and uh also uh in shanghai when they did the scene in shanghai he does like the big swing thing mm -hmm. so uh he's starting to up the stunts um but like these felt more in the plot whereas like we were talking about the stunts for the second film where they felt random and pointless absolutely um, yeah this was like more in line with like what was going on yes um so uh, one thing in this film that sticks out over the rest of the films and what's interesting is I see a lot of people who haven't seen all the movies they love this one because of the villain Philip Seymour Hoffman of course I mean truly like it was I haven't watched a movie of his in a while before this one so it was just really nice to see him on screen again doing what he does best and he was just a fantastic villain. He was entertaining. He was snarky and God, I just, I miss him every time, you know, he pops up screen, but yeah, it was, he was a fantastic villain. Like great and great. I mean, he's always great in every movie he's in, but there's something about Philip Seymour Hoffman playing a villain. That's just even more, I don't know, enigmatic, like enigmatic. I just, I love it. Yeah, um, and th there's a point in the film where I really like it because, like, Ethan kind of feels like he's in control. And what's interesting is they introduce another female character earlier on in the movie, and it's kind of a twist when she dies. It's like, oh, shit. And then we also possibly think that Michelle Monaghan's going to die. Um, and she's like, oh, my God, you can't have two new women come along and then get killed. Uh, <laughs> um, and then also, I believe... Uh, Maggie Q was also yeah Maggie yeah. Q who uh, was in this uh, yeah so Carrie Russell was the other uh, person and then Lawrence Fishburne was uh, and Billy Crudup uh, were the kind mm -hmm. of like the the leaders of the MI, uh, IMF and kind of like the bosses to 
uh, Ethan, which was so interesting because it feels like even though some of these people weren't super famous at the time, you look at it now and it's like, oh man, how did this movie just all of a sudden thrust in this huge cast? Yeah, and then yeah, you had Jonathan Rhys Meyers as like a like another person of Ethan's team, and oh my oh, god, yeah, that's him. Did oh, you I notice didn't even think of that. who plays Michelle Monaghan's brother? Uh oh. That was uh, Aaron Paul, Aaron right? Aaron Paul, baby, baby, <laughs> baby, Aaron Paul shows up like right away and is like, "Hey, brother," and just like <laughs> sticks around their house. He was so young. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, there's a yeah, lot which, of big names in this. Yeah, which now looking at that was yeah one of his like he's only been in maybe like a handful of films, um, so having him in that bit role, it's kind of funny to think where he is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think this movie, what it did well was, like we were saying, it took the action scenes in a better way. It took the villain in a better direction uh, with a better actor. Um, it took um, a lot of the cheesiness out of it. It yes. removed the cheese. Uh, it went vegan, you know. It, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, No, it was still meaty, but it, it definitely <laughs> removed the cheese um i'm hungry you can tell uh (laughs) but it removed the cheese and it it kind of felt like it grounded it a bit more um obviously there's a part like we were saying with the first movie we're going to see how often this comes up but like ethan's kind of blamed for stuff and like he's on the run slash trying to save the day and uh yeah it just uh it really really worked um compared to the other ones it's not my favorite but i'm so glad that this movie happened because this was the bridge that's kind of like no 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 this franchise isn't garbage we really sorry about the last one but like this one is gonna be better yeah we swear i agree like i think this one really um elevated the action and the stakes also felt much higher than like the first two so i think you're right it's the bridge between like early aughts late 90s like that whatever was going on over there and then we're gonna make this serious and then it becomes what it really becomes yeah and this the strange thing is and like jj we could talk about him on like another podcast even but like he starts this career of taking franchises that haven't been like movies for a bit and like taking what's good from them and like grounding them and then bringing them back because um he did this to mission impossible after six years Um, I haven't seen his new Star Trek, but everyone tells me that his Star Trek, the first one, was really good. It is. Um, And then, like, I... Maybe not so much Rise of Skywalker, but, like, I loved Force Awakens. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, like, when he gets that first movie to kind of bring a franchise back to life, I think he's one of the best in Hollywood to do it. um, Because it's like he picks all the stuff that works and what are staples of what is good about the franchise and elevates it. Um, but then uh, removes the shitty parts of it. So, like, when you see the second one to this one, it's just, like, night and day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I feel like another thing, they were a lot better with the mask twists. <laughs> yes, they were. it was good masks use. Yes, um, because there's sometimes where it's overused. Uh, the last one, like we said, was just like, oh, okay. And this one, it's like, yeah, we still have it, but it's not overused. Um, this took place, uh, like I said, in Shanghai, and also the Vatican were like famous places it was at. Um, 
Yeah, the one thing that bothered me, and I'm curious for your thoughts on it, because this is a J.J. Abrams trope that he brought into the franchise and luckily didn't really stay. They keep calling, like, the bad thing, like, the thing that everyone's going for is, like, the rabbit's foot. It's some sort of, it must be, like, poison or a bomb or, I don't know, something. It's a mystery box thing, and they don't reveal what it is at the end. Yeah, that's... Like, I... It's so weird, too, (laughs) because it is something... That, like, I guess that's not the point what it is. It's the journey. That's the point. Me, 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 I me. know, I but, know, but come but, on. Yeah, like, come on. We've been talking about this for so long. I want to know was, what, what that was. That This seems like a really big deal. Like, yeah. what's happening? And, yeah, I, and I don't like that either in, in the contrast of, like, the entire franchise because they always are, like, revealing what it is they're, like, looking for and going after. And... It's usually very well known what's happening in terms of, like, the objects they need to obtain or this, that, or the other. So, yeah, it was really weird that it was just given this, like, really vague name that sounds, like, really cool and, like, bad. Yeah. But, like, yeah, no and payoff, really? Like, yeah, well, even in the end, they make a joke of it where uh, Tom Cruise goes to Lawrence Fishburne and he's like, what's the rabbit's foot? And Lawrence Fishburne's like, ah, oh, if you stay on, I'll tell you, and... Ethan's just like, I'm retiring, I'm getting <laughs> married. And I'm like, fuck you, come on. You even you even brought it up just to take it away from us. Yeah, and like that's super lame. And we would just, yeah. like, I think too, it would just like make everything more intense if we knew the stakes. Like, what is right? it, you know? Yeah. It is lame. Um, yeah, that was one thing that I think was one of the main mistakes of the movie. Uh, like we said, though, uh, probably the bigger one and uh, it changes later is the fact that uh it turns into just a damsel in distress uh savior movie but uh i mainly just really enjoy this movie because it 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 steered it in the right direction and then as we talk uh the next episode on four five six like if this one didn't happen those other ones may not have ever even been made and I think the next director, Brad Bird, was able to take what J.J. kind of laid down and take it from there. And then we were off to the races to, like... From this point forward, I personally believe, and we'll talk about it later and like, maybe ranking these, the franchise gets better from this point forward. <laughs> yes, consistently. Every movie gets better. That's what I think. Yeah. 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 Um, like, the first one's not the worst. The second one is. But then, like, the first and the third are kind of towards the bottom um, I think we can both agree on that. And then four, five, six, just get nuts. <laughs> and I would honestly say, like, if Philip Seymour Hoffman wasn't the villain in the third one, it would, like, that's what gets it. Like, I mean, that's what yeah. really elevates it. And that's why I don't want to put it so low, because he's so good. If yeah. it was a different villain, I don't know. I it's don't funny, because everyone says that. Everyone I know says, they're like, well, the third one's one of the best, because Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, yeah. that's literally what they say. Um, it has nothing to do with J.J.'s direction or the plot. It's always because of his performance, and this is one of the only movies that has, like, a captivating villain. Yeah, and I, that's just something he does, I feel like. Philip Seymour Hoffman, it's like, when, he's in a, when he was in movies, it was like, that's what you saw. Like, the master, the movie sucks. I'm sorry. But, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman is amazing. So, yeah. he does, he just has that effect on movies. And I think definitely with this one, 
he really just elevated the movie even more to be what it was and like up there with the other ones kind of yeah so um would you say right now your ranking is 312 as far as like your favorite I'd say it's two, 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 all the way, two forever. <laughs> no, um, no, I, yeah, definitely would say right now the ranking with these three is three, one, two. Great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're gonna see how that keeps growing as we go through four, five, six in the next episode. Please uh, let us know what you think of the franchise. Uh, the, I knew that this compared to the next episode was going to be very interesting because it's this weird ebb and flow of like high, low, really high, you mm-hmm. know, yep. <laughs> which this never happens. Um, how often is the third movie considered one of the best and second one considered the worst? It's just bananas. And we're going to keep going with this franchise uh, in the next episode. But yeah, uh, Jess, until the next one, where can they find you on the social medias? On Instagram and Twitter, I am at JessQuaz, J-E-S-S-K-W-A-Z-Z. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brandon Prosec. Please follow Entertainment Buffet. Subscribe on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening on YouTube, uh, the podcast is also on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, you know, all the places that you usually can find podcasts. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have tons of video content coming to Entertainment Buffet's YouTube, uh, sketches and a variety of videos coming there. So please subscribe, check that out. And, uh, yeah, this has been episode 82, and we'll join you in next episode on our mission to watch the Mission Impossible movies. <laughs>